Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. I'm going to have to really up my shoe game. I'm being out, I'm being out, uh, I'm out shooed by my kids, so I've got to, I've got to do better. And that's how I came to Christ. Uh, I grew up in church, but I'd, I had gotten away from church, and I was living in Grand Prairie. My brother lived here in Mesquite, and he didn't know that, that already the Lord had been stirring in my heart some things. I'd begin to have a hunger to get, get back with God and, or get right with God. He didn't know that was happening, but he called me one day and said, hey, we're having a revival. You ought to come to the revival meeting. And I, you know, and I, I probably said no. You know that the way we do? Ah, no, I don't want to do that. But I did, and then uh, that night I gave my life to Christ, and uh, it's been amazing, wonderful ever since. So you just never know. You never know where somebody is in their journey and what God's doing in their heart. But God always works through obedience, and, and if we'll be obedient to ask, he'll be obedient to work. And so just ask the Lord, start praying for somebody. Start praying for somebody in your life, somebody you work with, somebody you're around, just, you know, just pray that the Lord would begin to work in their heart and we'll see what God will do. They may not, they may not end up coming here. That's fine. We're not worried about them coming to church here. We're, we want to be in the kingdom, right? Amen. So, Amen. so we're, we're talking in the last couple of weeks, we're talking about foundations, uh, what, what, how important the Bible is, how important truth is, can we know truth, and how does... How are we going to deal with, you know, our, our culture, this generation, this world system that, that doesn't value truth, that is embracing, regularly embracing lies and trying to make lies truth <laughs> and, and saying that, you know, calling evil good and good evil. I mean, did you think you'd see it this clearly in our lifetime? Uh, it comes so quickly upon us and it is happening. Uh, all around us. So we wanted to talk about how, you know, the foundations that we need to build and we need to have a foundation in our life of the truth and what we believe about the Bible. So we're talking the next couple of weeks about the Bible and what it means as we lead up to, uh, lead up to Easter. Uh, we're going to talk today about what Jesus believed about the Bible. So what did, you know, what did Jesus believe about the Bible? We're also going to talk about, you know, how do we get the Bible? He didn't just fall out of the sky, right? So how did, how did we get the Bible? But what did Jesus believe about the Bible? It's, I think it's so important. I mean, we should base our life on the person who defeated death. If you're going to model your life after someone, if you're going to listen to somebody, you should listen to the one who actually has the authority to tell you the truth because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he proved that. He proved who he was. He proved that everything that he said was true because he rose from the dead. So that's, that's our basis. The, the resurrection proves that the Bible is true. Jesus was confirming through his life hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that he confirmed. And then he declared that. In Matthew five seventeen, he's talking about the Bible and, and what he believed. 
He says in verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's an inter- just that last statement. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, surpasses, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we think, wait, wait a minute. What about grace? I thought we got to heaven by grace. It sounds like here we get to heaven by our righteousness being more, being more righteous than the Pharisees. So how do we get to heaven if we, if we don't get to heaven by grace? So, so we're going to talk about what that's, this means. We're talking about the importance of God's word in our lives. And Jesus believed this. And so there's three things we're going to talk about. Jesus believed that the Bible is true. Jesus believed that the Bible was about him and not about us. And Jesus believed that if you'll read the Bible and believe the Bible, it'll change everything. So Jesus believed the Bible is true. That's, so that's the basis. That's why we should, why should we believe the Bible is true? Because Jesus did. In Matthew 5, 18, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until it is accomplished. The word law, when we read the word law that Jesus is referring to, we tend to think, oh, he must be talking about the Ten Commandments. Or maybe he's talking about the, the Levitical law, where, you know, it talked about you can't eat shrimp, or you can't boil a kid's... Uh, can't boil a kid in his mother's milk, or you can't mix fabrics. You can't wear polyester and cotton together. You know, all of y'all are bound to hell for that. Uh, so, but the law, the law is a term that refused, that referred to all of the scriptures at that time. It's a, a term for the Hebrew scripture. They didn't have the Old Testament and the New Testament. They had what they referred to as the Hebrew scripture. In John 10, 34, Jesus said to them, has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods? Now, what's interesting, he's saying it's written in your law, but this is a quote from Psalm 82, 6. This is not a quote from the law books. This is a quote from the Psalms. Psalm 82, 6, I said you're gods, all of you are sons of the Most High. Jesus calls it law, and he's talking about all of the Hebrew scriptures. So we see that Jesus has this really high view of scripture. She said all of this, all of, all of the scripture is inspired. He gives us this, what we would consider a high view of scripture. He says, heaven and earth will not pass away, will pass away, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what we see that's created is going to pass away, but that which he has spoken and said will not pass away. It will not return void. So it, it's more enduring than nature. It's, it's not a product of nature. It's, it's a product of supernature. It's a product that's outside of nature. So we would use the term, it's supernatural. Because it's outside of nature. It's, 
Its origins are not from the creator, or, or from the creator, I'm sorry, not the created. What are the origins of the Word of God? It's, it's from God. It's, it's divinely given. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible, you think, when was the first, what were the first words written? Because the only way for us to know God is that he has to reveal himself to us. And the, the first record of something being written down in the Old Testament is when God writes the Ten Commandments in stone. That's, that's the first record. Now, that's the first set. Now, he, Moses broke that set, and he had to write the second on his own. But the first set, God gave him. So God's Word is given to us. It's divinely given to us, but it's humanly composed. So God used people. Then, then he gives Moses instructions. He says, hey, Moses, start writing this stuff down. So we, we believe that the first five books of the Bible are, are the books of Moses. They were composed, and he brought together all the, the stories of creation, the oral things about Abraham, all of the things that preceded him. He brought those together as the first five books of the Bible. It's divinely given, humanly composed. We'll talk about that more another time. This is referred to as plenary inspiration which means the word plenary means complete. It's like a, a complete gathering. Uh, it's whole inspiration. So it's like Jesus believed that the whole Bible was inspired, not just parts of it, but all of it. He said, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. The, the smallest letter is a yoth, in the Hebrew, it's the size, about the size of a comma. A stroke is like the serif on a letter. So if you, you, know, if you have a, a G and the, the tail goes one way, I'm trying to do it for your direction, let's see. You see that? If you have a Q, the tail goes back, the serif goes back the other direction. That's, that is, that's what he's talking about. He says not the, the smallest part will until all is accomplished, shall pass from the law. In Jesus' day, the, the canon of the Old Testament, the canon is a way, not the canon goes boom, uh, the canon is a way to describe what is, are the accepted books in the Hebrew Scripture. So in Jesus' day, the Hebrew canon for the Hebrew Scriptures was established. It was accepted, so there, it was agreed upon. Uh, it consisted of 24 books, beginning with what they called the law, the first five books, the prophets, which consisted of eight books, the writings, which consisted of 11 books, from Genesis to Chronicles. Now, we, our Old Testament doesn't end in Chronicles. The Hebrews had a different order. They had the same books as we have in our current Old Testament, a Protestant, the Protestant, you know, Old Testament, but uh, but they they're in a different order. But it's the same books. So Jesus, when he talk, he's talking about the whole of Scripture. He says in Luke eleven fifty one, from the blood of Abel, Abel, you know, Cain killed Abel, 
So we have that in the first of Genesis, where Cain kills Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, that's in Chronicles, the last book of the Hebrew canon. So Jesus is saying from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures, I tell you, it will be charged against this generation. Jesus had the highest view of scripture. Jesus believed in the supernatural, divine inspiration of the Bible. And Jesus didn't just believe it, he lived it. I mean, literally, literally, if you cut Jesus, he bled the scripture. When they pierced his side on the cross, that was scripture. When he hung on the cross, that was scripture. When he was assaulted by Satan at the beginning of his ministry, what did he say? Every time, it is written. Every time his argument was the word of God. When he was attacked by the Pharisees. In Mark chapter 7, verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with unwashed hands? Ooh, unwashed hands. It sounds like the COVID epidemic. <laughs> and he said to them, Rightly does Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Jesus lived the word. When he was attacked, he responded with the word of God. When they took him to crucify him in the garden, I don't know if you remember this, but Peter cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus didn't say, I don't think that's a good idea. He stuck it back on, which I think is incredible. I hope he put it on a little crooked, you know, just, just as a reminder to the guy. I mean, you know, he, he, he's, he's just a, he's a servant of the high priest. He's not necessarily there because he wanted to be there, right? He's just doing what he had to do because that was his job. And he's there, and they go to arrest Jesus, and Peter, in his rashness, pulls out the sword. They've got two swords in the bunch of them, and he cuts off the guy's ear, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 wait, wait. And so he puts his ear back on, and he said, all of this has to take place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled, which also fulfilled scripture. He based his whole life on scripture. On the way to the cross, he quotes Hosea 10, 8 out of Luke 23, 30. Then they began to say, then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. On the cross, he cried out Psalm 22. This is amazing. Psalm 22 is amazing. Psalm 22 is a picture of Jesus on the cross. David saw Jesus on the cross. Somehow, in some way, God gave him a revelation, an insight, so that Jesus quotes Psalm 22. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was in Psalm 22. 
On the cross, he cried out Psalm 31, 5. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. We base our view of Scripture on Jesus' view of Scripture. What did Jesus believe about Scripture? Jesus believed it was all the Word of God. Do you have the same view of Scripture that Jesus does? Can you... Follow Jesus and say you love him and obey him if you play pick and choose in the Bible? Ooh, I like this part because, you know, this gets them, and I like this part because this gets them, but I don't like this part because it gets me. If, if we reject portions of the Bible because we don't like them, what we have done, and I've said this in the last couple of weeks, we're making a God in our own image. We're making a God that agrees with us. If you're a God agrees with you, he's not that bright. Or with me. I'm not just trying to accuse you. In other words, we need a God that knows more than we know. And if we're not careful, we end up creating a Jesus in our image so that when he doesn't ask us to ever do any hard things, Jesus is going to ask you to do some hard things. He's going to tell you when you least want to do it, he's going to say, hey, that's your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or he's going to tell you, oh, forgive others just in the same way I've forgiven you. We're like, oh, I don't like that. Let's, you know, there are some who would take out the parts of the Bible they don't agree. You know, you know, Thomas Jefferson took all the miracles. He didn't. He liked Jesus, but he didn't like the miracles. So he made a Bible where he cut out all the miracles, so that he wouldn't have to deal with the stuff that he didn't like. <laughs> you know. We don't want to make Jesus in our own image. We want to be like Jesus. We want to have a view of Scripture like Jesus' view of Scripture where it has authority in our life. Jesus also believed that the Bible was about him and not about us. Matthew 5, 17, he says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The word fulfill means to complete, to fill up. Jesus is saying, Everything in the Old Testament is about me. And if you don't understand it, you won't understand it unless you see the Old Testament from a Christ-centric view. Everything is pointing to Christ. So I think, well, so we, we don't observe the clean laws anymore. We don't, we don't worry about the food laws because Jesus told us it's not what enters a man that defiles a man, but what comes out of a man, what he speaks. And you think, now, you know, God forbade the Jewish people to eat pork. So they didn't, eat, they didn't have pork. So I wonder why God did that. Did, did you know that pigs are really close genetically to humans? I've known some people you couldn't tell the difference. Uh, <laughs> That was crazy, wasn't it? I don't, I don't know. I need a better. I need. I need a better governor. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 
but pigs were often kind of the, the go-between between animal diseases that become human diseases. So if you're traveling with a million people and they had, and they ate pigs and they kept pigs with them, it would very easily be a lot of diseases that would have affected a million people. I mean, that may not be the only reason. I don't know. You know, I bet God knows stuff I don't know. But think about the clean laws and cleanliness and washing and all of that. We, we, we don't observe those things. Why? Because Jesus is our righteousness. We're, it's not, we're not made righteous by washing with soap and water. We're made righteous by washing in the perfect blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. We don't do animal sacrifices anymore. Why? Because Jesus was the final perfect sacrifice. We no longer need to do sacrifices. We, we don't have to go to, the, to Jerusalem to go to the temple. You know why? Because we are the temple. Now, isn't, isn't that amazing? God changed the location of the temple to be in every believer's heart. We are the body of Christ. Know you not that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you'll never understand the Old Testament unless you see that the point of every story, every sacrifice, every miracle, every victory is to show us and point to Jesus. We have a great story of the road to Emmaus. There were two disciples. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the third day. And they're seven miles outside of Jerusalem, and they're walking along, and they're despondent. And Jesus walks up to them, and they don't recognize him. And he says, hey, what were you guys talking about? And they're like, do you not know what's going on? <laughs> Think about that. Hey, do you not know what's going on? There was, there was a man named Jesus, and we thought he was the Christ, but they crucified him. And, 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 but this crazy thing happened. Some of the women that were a part of our group went to the tomb, and they said they saw angels there and that they had taken his body. But, you know, we didn't believe him because they were women. We didn't believe him because we, there was women who said it. You know, they didn't believe women's testimony because women were too emotional. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so we thought, we, thought he was the, we thought he was the Messiah. And he says, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Which scriptures? All of them. Jesus said, if you look at the scriptures, they're about me. In John 5, 39, he said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. In John 5, 46, he said, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Where? Where did Moses write about me? Everywhere. Do you read the Bible like a Pharisee? 
when you read about Moses and the story of Moses fighting against the oppression of Egypt, so you think, oh, I need to be like Moses, and I need to fight against oppression of the people around me. But you think, if you read about Moses, you'll see that Moses was not even a very good Moses. Because Moses got mad and didn't trust God, and when he was supposed to speak to the rock, instead he got a little angry because he was leading around a million people that were frustrating and he got angry, I, don't, I wouldn't have been a good Moses either. Would you have been a good Moses? I don't think I'd have been a good Moses either. I mean, you know, you look at the whole story of Moses, and he, see, he encounters God at the burning bush, and God says, I want you to go and be a, a, a spokesman for me. And he says, I'm, I don't speak good. Could, how about Aaron? And he's like, no, I'm calling you. He's like, so all of, Moses wasn't a very good, good Moses. He's pointing to a better Moses, a true deliverer, who will deliver us from the real oppression, not just the oppression of Rome, not just the oppression of poverty, but the oppression of sin and death, the, the oppression of eternal damnation. He came to deliver us from that. The true Moses came to set us free. So that even in the midst of Roman occupation of Israel, he could say, come to me. All you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. We, we think, well, what, don't, didn't Rome have to go away? It doesn't, don't all these things have to be perfect for us to, no, no, he's saying right now, right now. As a matter of fact, if you look at Luke, Jesus is talking to Moses when he's transfigured on the mountain. And it says they were talking about his departure from Jerusalem. But the word there is Exodus. They were talking about his exodus from Jerusalem. Isn't that a, a cool choice of words? That he was leading an exodus, a, the true exodus. There was an exodus that was an exodus, but there's an exodus that's the true exodus, and it's led by the true Moses, Jesus. What about, you know, we, think, we look at people, we think, oh, I want to be like them. We think about David, David facing Goliath. I need to have faith like David. I need to be able to face my giants. But even David wasn't a very good David. Because <laughs> David had sex with Bathsheba, and then he killed Uriah the Hittite. And there were other places where he didn't have faith. There were times that he had fantastic faith. You see, David is the king He's the man after God's own heart, but he's not the true king. He's the king that's pointing to the king. Who's going to help me with my failures and insecurities so that I don't live like that king, but I live like the true king. So we, we kind of see it like it's a, it's a sermon in our minds. It's like uh, point one is look what they did. David killed a giant. I need to do what they did. I need to, do, I need to, I need to be a giant killer like they were giant killers. And then point three, if I do that, then God will bless me. And if you're not careful, it'll cause you to act like a Pharisee. Pharisees tended to look down on other people. Pharisees tended to keep the law in such a way that they could judge other people's way of how they weren't keeping the law. It caused them and then they were crushed when the formula didn't work. What if, you, what if you did what you were supposed to do, but it didn't work out? 
I did this for God, and he didn't do what I expected him to do. He didn't reward me the way I wanted. If what you do for God, you're disappointed when you don't get a reward, then you're living like a Pharisee. You see, there's a greater Moses than Moses that Moses was pointing to. There's a greater David than David that David was pointing to. There's a, there's a better Adam than Adam. There's an Adam who didn't fall. There's a better Abraham. Abraham's the father of our faith, but Abraham didn't always have faith. Sometimes he was full of fear and he said, here, here's my wife, take her. Uh, she's my sister. What? Right? There's a better Abraham than Abraham. There's a better Jacob. Jacob, they called the supplanter, the crook. And so he, was, uh, he wasn't a very good model anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but there's one better than Jacob, Joseph, the savior of Israel. There's one better than Joseph. There's one better than Joshua. There's one better than Gideon. There's certainly one better than Samson. Samuel, just, you just go from the front to the back, and they're all pointing to Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. They're pointing to the one who is the true Savior, the truth. How do you do that? You just, you just start reading the Bible differently. You read it, not with a vision of what's in there for me. Oh, look, here's, here's, here's a promise for me. Oh, look, this is pointing to Jesus. That's my promise. See, my promise is Jesus. If you see Jesus in everything, it will then change everything. In Matthew 5, 20, Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the, the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he says you have to have better righteousness. Good news. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it tells us how our righteousness can exceed the Pharisees, and it's not by keeping the law, but it's by receiving it through Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ, his righteousness is my righteousness. And so because I have his righteousness, I don't have to live for the approval of men. I can quit living for the approval of God and start living from the approval of God. There's a, it's real similar, isn't it? But it's not the same. You live like you already have God's love and approval because you do. In Christ, you do. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father will see what is done in secret and will reward you. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought we weren't doing this for reward. But it says he will reward us. What is that, what is that reward? But he says, if, if you give, don't give in such a way that people, people, you give so that people notice. You, you notice this is hard for people. You ever, you ever notice that? 
it's hard for people to give money away and nobody know they've given it away. <laughs> That's what Jesus is telling us, that we need to be careful when we give money. We don't want to, as we're giving money, we don't want to toot our own horns. We don't want to blow trumpets. That's, that's, that's where that phrase comes from. Don't toot your own horn. Don't, don't make, hey, look how, look how good they are. Our, we're not trying to point to us. We want to point to Jesus. He said, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues or in the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But I say to you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Always say this, short prayers in public, long prayers in, in private. Some people think it's because I'm fat and I don't want to wait to eat. There is that, there is that. But, but beyond that, beyond that, what, what Jesus is saying is we don't pray to be showy. If you want to show off in prayer, show off in prayer in your closet. Even we, when we see Jesus, you know, virtually every prayer that Jesus prayed was a short prayer. Now, we know that he went away by himself and prayed all night. Right? He went away apart from the others, and he would pray all night. But when he, when he fed the multitudes, he said he just took the bread and blessed it and broke it. Thank you, Lord. See, the Pharisees were doing what they were doing to get honor and power, and by doing what they were doing, they believed that they were creating a debt with God that God had to reward. In other words, I'm keeping the law, and since I'm not doing what I want to do, and I'm doing what God tells me to do, then God owes me. And they thought that their behavior then created a debt. They believed that about the Messiah. They believed that they were going to cause the Messiah to come by keeping the law. So when he came, they thought he was going to say, you guys are doing such a great job. And he didn't do that, but instead he reached out to prostitutes and tax collectors. They were like, what is, this guy can't be the Messiah because if he was the Messiah, he would recognize what we've been doing, that he's here because of us. They thought that by keeping the law, it created a debt, an obligation. If you're not careful, you'll become a Pharisee in your Christianity. You will, you'll say, you won't say it out loud because it, doesn't, it sounds bad. But you'll say it on the inside, I can't believe this is happening to me after all I've given. I can't believe this is happening after I've served God my whole life. I've been, I've been sitting through boring sermons my whole life. God, you owe me something. I've heard somebody say, I, I just I can't believe it. I, I've been paying my tithes and I had a flat on my car. It's like, that's it. That's, that's the secret. Just pay your tithes. Your car will never break down. You'll never have to change the oil. You'll never need new tires. You'll never have, an, you'll never have another problem. You know how God called, how Jesus called Paul into the ministry? 
He sent Ananias to pray for him. He said, listen, you need to tell him everything he's going to suffer for my name. And then Paul gives a list at the end of his life of what he did suffer. And he rejoices in it. He joy, he's joyful about it. He said, look what I got to do. I was beaten. I was shipwrecked. I was left for dead. See, the greatest reward is not that God owes us something, but it's because what we do for God is we don't do it because we do it to get reward. We do it because it's joy-driven. It's love-driven. So then the reward that comes from serving God is not an obligation. It's a grace. Everything we get from God, we get by grace. It's not a debt. It's not a payment. There is a reward. There is a reward. There is a reward. The, the greatest reward that can be offered us is a relationship with the God of the universe. That we can know Jesus and be known by him. In relationship, not, not by keeping the law, but because he did what we couldn't do, he came and rescued us from ourselves and he saves us so that he can. Is this not incredible? He wants to know you and be in relationship with you, even though he knows everything about you. He knows every sin that you sinned and will sin, but he's allowed those to be covered by the blood of Christ what's the reward the reward is him Paul talking about his life he said you know I was a Pharisee of Pharisees I was rising I was getting gaining notoriety as I was persecuting the church he said I was keeping the law in keeping the law I was doing it faultlessly I was keeping the law perfectly And I was, I was getting to be well-known. He said, but when you compare that, the success of man and the accolades of men, when you compare that to knowing Christ, he said, I count it all as dumb. It's refuge. It's trash. It's garbage. For the, for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To, he says, <laughs> he said, you know what? And I, I haven't, I haven't got there yet. I, there's still more to know. There's still more to discover. And he said, I'm pressing towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is a, war, there is a reward. The reward is Jesus. Here's, here's the great thing about that. You can live in that reward right now. The reward of heaven is relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That's the reward of heaven. It's not going to be streets of gold and a little mansion over the hilltop. Because, you know, I've been a pastor for 43 years, so my mansion would be tiny. And yours would be huge. You know, if we, we, we think of it that way, that, that's not... Do you think we're going to notice 
that the pavement is made of gold, that's going to be a big deal to us? I don't think so. It's pavement. It's paving material in heaven. It's not a big deal. It's not scarce. You know what makes it valuable? It's scarce. It's not scarce. They're paving streets with it. Right? See, the greatest growth we have is a relationship with God. What makes heaven heaven is a relationship with God. What makes heaven glorious is a relationship with God. What makes it be worth eternity where it's not going to get boring, it's not going to get stagnant. We're not going to like, oh, man, I, we've been playing these harps and these clouds for thousands of years. I'm so tired of this. You know, I always complained about new songs back in church, but, man, could we sing a new song? is to know him, that I may know him, Paul said, that I may know him. That's the reward of heaven. And and sometimes the greatest, you experience the greatest reality of that reward when you're suffering the most. Isn't that amazing? When this world is the word, our relationship with God can be the best. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, you don't owe us. It's a privilege and a joy to serve you, to know you. So I pray, Father, that today you would would help us to have the, the same view of Scripture that Jesus did, that it was supernatural. It came from it comes from God. It doesn't come from man. Since it doesn't come from man, it's not going to pass away. You fulfilled the law. And the law is about you and not about us. And there is a great reward for us, but it's not. It's not the accolades of men. It's not here. It's the reward is you. The reward is you. The reward is you. Lord, help us to get that. We forget it. We become Pharisees in our hearts and our minds. We get upset because the formula didn't work. We didn't X and Y. We expected Z to happen, and it didn't. And we're mad at you. God, you're not a formula, God. You're a relationship, God. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. Help us to see that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.